Warning, this podcast contains adult language and material that may not be suitable for younger or more sensitive listeners. You have been warned. The following is classified information. Government project known as This Spooky Show. You have agreed to be our test subject in this audio experiment. Supervising the experiment, Special Agent Noir and Special Agent Doe. Official designation, the Ghoul Babes. This recording will self-destruct if the server crashes. I have a cadaver bone in my mouth. I'm Jade. And I was hoping you could help me solve the mystery of the horny beast. I'm Vivian. Yeah, I can't help you with that. That's an, that's an X-Files reference. Oh, it's already starting. Oh, no. <laughs> I have my puns. She has X-Files it's references. True. If you hadn't already guessed, Spooky Fam, it's that time to twist those gleaming and glistening tinfoil caps on nice and tight, because our subject for this week demands the utmost secrecy. That's right, the subject of conspiracy theories for decades. This week, we will be discussing something nearly in our own backyard, the fabled Area 51, as well as other famed incidents of alien encounters. And who knows, some famous people just may show up too. So strap in, strap on. Oh my. (laughs) And tune in as the ghoul babes take you on an adventure that might just be out of this world. Is that a Sulu reference? It was. <laughs> it was. I love you, George Takei. Ah, <laughs> uh, Tanara to run or not Tanara to run? That is the question. And here is the answer. No one should ever fucking do that. Ever. <laughs> Brought back into the cultural mainstream consciousness yet again by last year's famed Storm Area 51 massive public event, which began on Facebook as a joke and ended somewhere in the Nevada desert. We don't know where. It's it was nearby. <laughs> it was Area 51 adjacent. Yes. <laughs> the place known as Area 51 has been a popular source of countless conspiracy theories for decades. While the mysterious Groom Lake base has become synonymous with UFOs, aliens, and tinfoil hats, many experts claim that the purpose of the secret government compound is much more mundane than all of that. Is it a place for engineering new and secret aircraft? Or is it a place bursting at the seams with weird alien tech and government secrets? Let's get into it. Area 51 has been known by many names over the years. Dreamland, Paradise Ranch, Watertown Airstrip. The variants of names and call designations have been nearly as elusive as the quote-unquote existence of the base itself. The government openly denied the existence of the base up until 2013. The base itself sits in the middle of the Groom Dry Lake Bed, a massive dry lake in the dead center of the state of Nevada. 84 miles outside of Las Vegas and flanked by the nuclear test site, there's a lot here that might keep the casual observer at bay. I'm at bay. (laughs) Mostly, those deadly forest authorized signs anywhere along the perimeter of the base. They definitely mean business linger around the restricted area a bit too long, and the black jeeps and other vehicles show up to usher you away from the area. So, why the secrecy? What exactly are they hiding here in the desert? Inquiring minds want to know. I have actually friends who have gone up there and driven up to the road, and they've parked on the side of the road where the fences are at, climbed over said fence, 
and started into the desert. Now, mind you, there was there was nothing, but they had crossed the the sign. They crossed the fence, and like fifty feet into the desert, they still couldn't see anything. Right? There was they there was no buildings, no nothing. They were just still in desert. Here come the vehicles that they pull up and they go. You need to turn around and get out of here. So, and they looked around because they're like, there's no cameras out here. So how could they have known we crossed the perimeter? Right. So there have to be some sort of like either pheromone sensors or weight sensors or something, some other sensors that are like, like a laser grid or something that people can't see to keep you from crossing that. Because there's, there was no way they could have known. There was nothing out there. There was no cameras anywhere. So what they need is that uh, cartoon spray. Yeah. To continue to pick up a laser grid. Yeah. Like you see in every heist movie. They're like, shh, oh no, lasers. Laser grid. And then they need a contortionist to get around the laser grid, like in every good heist movie. Yes. Yeah. I've never had anybody that I know go out there, but I did, when I was a little kid, ask my grandma if she knew what was out there in Area 51, because she worked for the government, Mm -hmm. and she worked for them out here for a good bit of time, and she supposedly at that time said that she had been there but that she could not tell me anything that's and it's my own grandma that, that's believable they're they're kind of sworn to secrecy anyone that works out there they're not allowed to talk about anything about it because just in case you were to be compromised like there's you know it's kind of an additional security like right. you nobody else knows what you know so what exactly are they hiding that they have to swear people to secrecy According to claims by engineer and former government employee Bob Lazar, alien technology and advanced aircraft based off of reverse-engineered extraterrestrial technology exists in the desert a mere two hours from the sparkling city of Sin herself. In 1989, Bob Lazar appeared in an interview for Las Vegas television news KLAS 8 with investigative reporter George Knapp. His identity was concealed and he went under the pseudonym Dennis. He claimed to have been employed at a subsidiary facility to Area 51 known as S-4, where he had been hired by the government to reverse engineer one of nine flying saucers, extraterrestrial in origin, which were held in secret at the facility. He claimed that one of the flying saucers, which he cleverly nicknamed the Sport Model, all fun and no function, I see you, Bob. We see you. We see you, boo-boo. It was made out of a metallic substance similar in appearance and feel to stainless steel. Lazar went on to refute claims that the saucers could be earthly in origin by saying that the propulsion system for the craft was a gravity propulsion system and the power source was an antimatter reactor. Quote, this technology does not exist at all, Lazar claimed in the interview. He went on to expound on the fuel source of the vehicle, which was the chemical element known as 115, or E-115, which at the time was named Ununpentium, or Union Pentium, I guess, and had not been artificially created yet in a lab. Element 115 on the periodic table was indeed first synthesized in 2003 and was called Moscovium. Lazar said that the propulsion system of the craft he reverse-engineered was based on a stable isotope of E-115, which allegedly creates a gravity wave that allowed the vehicle to fly and to be undetectable to the eye by bending light around it. For the record, no stable isotopes of Muscovium have ever been isolated, and all have been extremely radioactive and have disintegrated in a matter of milliseconds. Although scientists do say that it is not out of the realm of possibility that there's a stable isotope of element 115, but it just hasn't been found. Interesting. 
yet Mr. Mann is saying that there that is one. There is one, and there's a documentary that's on Netflix called Bob Lazar, Area 51, something about it, and he won't say outright, but he kind of makes the claim to the documentary uh, maker. It's implied that he has some of this element, that he took some with him when he left, and he's been raided apparently twice by the FBI, Oh, looking for probably this element that he absconded with. You know, I just stole this element. I just took this from a lab, you know. YOLO. <laughs> YOLO. Just Lazar things. Just hashtag just Lazar things. Lazar also claimed that he had been shown documents that described the involvement of Earth in extraterrestrial encounters for the past 10,000 years. Which is weird because we haven't had documentation. I was like, did they show him like the Rosetta Stone or like stone tablets? Like how far back are we going here? I'm like, how do you have documentation for 10,000 years when we haven't even really been documenting anything for nearly that long? Pictures of cave drawings. I'm sure they're like, look, yep, aliens, look, see? Mm -hmm. Uggabug drew (laughs) drew a UFO. It only got four (laughs) Uggabungas. It was widely panned by critics. He claimed to have been shown dissected bodies of gray aliens from a planet orbiting the binary star Zeta Reticuli. As of September 2019, no extrasolar planets have been discovered or identified in the Zeta Reticuli system. Lazar's credibility had been shaken by skeptics and others who have looked into his story. He claims to have had master's degrees from both MIT and from Caltech, and neither school has any record of him attending. His employment at Nellis Air Force Base and Los Alamos National Laboratory have also been discounted and denied by both the Air Force and Los Alamos officials. Though further research did turn up Lazar's name in an old phone book from Los Alamos in the 80s. Some claim that Lazar's work and career credentials were blanked out by high-ranking government officials to make an example of him for daring to speak out about what he saw on the secret base. Or it's entirely possible that he could be fabricating details for fame and notoriety. That, that is very possible because I don't know the skeptic in me wants to believe that this is all BS mm-hmm. but then the other part of me is like that our government does have have the ability to do such a thing yeah, yeah. it's like you, you want to go I don't want to be that person and be that tinfoil hatty about it but they could probably do that if they wanted to right it's like they're big yeah. it's so it's big enough yeah. that it's very possible, but the skeptic in me wants to hold on. Because obviously you couldn't just kill this guy, because that's too obvious, right? right? So you couldn't just deep six this guy and just, you know. So what's the best way to shut somebody up? Discredit them. Make them look Make crazy. them look like, you know, a lunatic. Make them look like a ranting, raving, like, you know, conspiracy theory psycho. You know, that's the best way to do it without getting your hands too dirty. So what else other than aliens could be going on? The second theory is that Area 51 was established in 1955 in order to test the U-2 spy plane for the CIA, as well as for future experimental aircraft like the Archangel-12 and its successor, the SR-71 Blackbird, the F-17 Nighthawk stealth fighter, and the B-2 stealth bomber. That's it. No extraterrestrials, no aliens, just a testing ground for Skunk Works projects. At least, that's according to the U.S. government, the Air Force, and the aerospace company Lockheed Martin. 
Upon cursory inspection, all of these experimental aircraft have unusual shapes and many of them fly at speeds of Mach 3 or faster, so it's not outside the realm of imagination that seeing these planes speed by during a test flight in a blur might make one think they saw a craft of alien origin. This paired with the overall blanketed hush-hush secrecy maintained about the facility no doubt adds fuel to many a tinfoil hat in the microwave conspiracy fire. Seriously, tinfoil catches fire in the microwave. Don't put it in there. Or do, but don't come crying to me when you burn your house down with crazy theories. It's true. It does catch fire. So, secret alien laboratory or the home of experimental aircraft. What do you think, Spooky Nation? I mean, it would make sense that it's experimental aircraft because of the fact that it's so far out in the desert. It's away from everybody. Right. And they have plenty of room. Right. And no one's going to be around generally, for the most part, to see these tested aircraft. Right. Because you want, you know, obviously if it's a highly experimental stealth project like the B-2 bomber was, like the Nighthawk was, um, a lot of these planes are made for, you know, ducking radar, are made for spy, they're spy planes, Mm -hmm. right? So you want them, you know, not exposed to general, like, people seeing them but sometimes okay it's pretty high in the sky it moves pretty quick somebody might catch a glimpse of it Mm -hmm. but like i said when you look at the pictures of like especially the nighthawk and the b2 they're of definite not a normal plane shape so i can see where if you saw that go by in a blur you might go what the fuck was that and mistake it for a ufo especially because they do have they do have lights on them and, and things like that so if you see them at night especially the planes are all black you know, all you would see is lights just go zipping, you know. Speaking of lights that just go zipping. Yes. What is our next topic, pray tell? So I'm going to be talking about the Phoenix lights or the Phoenix light phenomena. Okay. Um, which, like you said, with these planes, they just have lights. It's very dark. They zip by. These lights were literally just lights that people saw flying over. Okay. So the Phoenix Lights phenomena were a series of UFOs spotted over Nevada, Arizona, and the Mexican state of Sonora on March 13th, 1997. I was not even three yet. I was 17. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Quite the difference. (laughs) The unexplainable lights were first seen flying across the sky in a V formation, then later hanging stationary over Phoenix, Arizona. While the Air Force claims that the lights were flares dropped by an A-10 warthog, we're going to break down the phenomena and let you judge for yourself, Spooky Nation. By the way, A-10 warthog was my nickname in high school because I, I was A-10 out of 10 warthog. Eh. Rude. Eh. Rude. Disrespectful. <laughs> I'll start talking aliens okay. now. See that you do. <laughs> Around 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, a man in Henderson, Nevada, reported seeing a V-shaped object in the sky. He claimed that it was, quote, the size of a Boeing 747, and it sounded like rushing wind, with six lights on its leading side. You know, it's funny. In most of the videos and articles that I found about this phenomena, they leave out this man in Henderson as the first report. I'm guessing that Hendertucky lights didn't have the same <laughs> ring to it. No. That, and even if you call it Henderson lights, it just sounds like a mom and pop, like, electrician company out of, like, you know, out of, out of Nevada. Do-do. Ban it, ban it. 
And that's all we can do because yeah. copyright. Exactly. <laughs> Shut up, you dummy. Give me a hug for I'll give you a knuckle sandwich. Now, according to the National UFO Reporting Center, the first call about the lights came in at 8.16 p.m. from a retired police officer in Paulden, Arizona. The man had left his house, and while driving north, he allegedly saw a, quote, cluster of reddish or orange lights in the sky comprising of four lights together and a fifth light trailing them. He said that each of the lights appeared to have two different point sources of orange light. So a lot of lights. A lot of lights. A lot of lights going on that that guy was watching. But like you said, it could be the underside of a plane that no one had ever seen. Yeah. The next reports of the lights came in from the Prescott Valley at around 8.17 p.m. So it's moving pretty quickly. Pretty, if it... pretty quick then, yeah. Callers stated that the object was solid because it blocked out most of the sky as it flew over. John Kaiser was outside with his wife and his sons when they noticed the cluster of lights. They said the lights formed a triangular pattern, with all of the lights being red, except for the one at the point, which was, quote, distinctly white. Other observers have added that the object was flying fairly low and made no sound whatsoever. Tim Lay and his wife Bobby also saw the lights in Prescott Valley. They said at first the lights appeared to be five separate and distinct lights in an arc shape, as if they were on top of a balloon. But as the lights came closer, the distance between the lights increased and they began to look like an upside down V. But so all- like a plane. Yeah, like a plane. <laughs> so, so look up a picture of the stealth bomber and look up a picture of the Nighthawk and that's probably exactly what these people are describing. Probably. But you also notice that like between three, four, if you count the Henderson person, mm-hmm. four accounts all vastly different light colors. Yeah, some some said they were orange, some said they were red, and one said, like, distinctly, there was this distinctly white one among the red lights. Um, I mean, they they're all kind of agree on the shape, it seems like, that the lights were in, but distinctly vary on the description, like, of the lights, of the colors themselves. Which is just an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. One report to the National UFO Reporting Center from the Prescott area stated, quote, while doing astrophotography, pause. Astrophotography. Astrophotography. You are outside taking pictures of the sky. Yeah, sir. you're you're outside taking pictures of the moon, sir. Astrophotography. Astro. That was an unnecessary word. You just want to sound more important. I'm on to you. That was 100% like a flex to be like, I do astrophotography. Like, bitch, he goes outside and takes pictures of the stars. Anyway, I observed five yellow-white lights in a V formation moving slowly from the northwest across the sky to the northeast, then turn almost due south and continue until out of sight. The point of the V was in the direction of movement. The first three lights were in a fairly tight V, while two of the lights were further back along the lines of the V's legs. During the northwest to northeast transition, one of the trailing lights moved up and joined the three and then dropped back to the trailing position. I estimated the three light V to cover about 0.5 degrees of the sky and the whole group of five lights to cover about one degree of sky, end quote. That's it's very specific, That's very sir. specific, yeah. So maybe he does do astrophotography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hot oh, and degrees of sky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, 
You, I bet he's fun at parties. This one. Not at all. You see Karen over there? She's taking about one degree of the chips. <laughs> this is Ted. This is why we don't invite you to things. Yes, Ted. She's having chips. What the fuck is your point? Ooh, are they in a V pattern, Ted? Are they covering about 0.5 of the salsa, Ted? Yeah, this guy's a riot <laughs> at parties, I'm sure. I am 100% sure this guy's never invited to shit. The first report of the lights approaching Phoenix came from Bill Griner, a cement driver hauling a load just north of Phoenix. He said, quote, I'll never be the same. Before this, if anybody had told me they saw a UFO, I would have said, yeah, and I believe in the tooth fairy. Now, I've got a whole new view, and I may just be a dumb truck driver, but I've seen something that don't belong here. After those lights were seen flying over, there were photos taken of them just sitting there. Mm -hmm, Just like hovering. Yeah, so interesting. It could be that the plane was like hanging and- Well, and it's not entirely out of the realm again. I, I do believe that there is extraterrestrial life out there. I'm not 100% convinced that if it's if we've been visited by things. Like, I'm not 100% convinced on that side. Like, Agreed. I do believe there are aliens. I do. Be- There's too many planets in the universe to not have life somewhere else. It's just the odds are phenomenal. Um, but there is a plane called the Harrier. Uh, it's the F-18. I think it's F-18 Harrier jump jet. Mm-hmm. And it actually has engines that rotate down and allow the plane to hover. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that this, again, was some sort of experimental aircraft that had a similar capability. And the Harrier's an old plane. It's not a new plane. It's, a, it's actually a British engineered plane. Um, so it's a, it's a jet fighter that can actually fly and hover in place like a helicopter. So it's not something we didn't have. It's not technology we didn't have at that time. Yeah, so it's very possible yeah. that maybe they just paused over because of whatever reason they had Mm. going on. They were testing those engines, maybe, and testing the stability of those, like, specific engines to make sure that they worked. Yeah. If you're interested in finding out more about the Phoenix Lights phenomena, I would recommend looking up Lynn Kitai. She is the quote-unquote expert of the phenomena and has written a rather substantive book, as well as a documentary on the lights. She claims that the lights have actually been happening for hundreds of years based on her conversation with one Native American tribe living within the Estrella Mountains. She also met and conversed with Von Jin, a physicist and supposed top UFO expert who was able to show her photos of the same phenomena in China. So definitely check her out if you want to go down a rabbit hole, Spooky Nation, because it is a rabbit hole. I'm sure it is a definite rabbit hole. Like, there's, there's, I don't doubt, like, just countless photos and... I mean, again, it's an, is it possible that there are, you know, there's intelligent life with other crafts? Sure. I'm, again, I'm just not 100% convinced that they go flying over our airspace. Yeah, I think it's a very Earth-human-centric point of view to think that we're the only intelligent life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come about and has created a life on a planet. So... It's very, very possible. I believe that there's some semblance of life, whatever that looks like out there. But like you said, I don't think that they're just flying around here. I'm pretty sure our area, our our part of the galaxy is the part that when the aliens do cruise by, they roll up their windows and lock their doors. Because I'm pretty sure, like, they're like, oh, that's that planet. Roll them up. (laughs) 
Nope, we're not stopping here, kids. Sorry, it's too dangerous. Hold it in. Have you have you have you seen these people? Have you seen how they behave? No, we're not stopping here. You better you better cross your legs and hold it in <laughs> until the next rest stop. We're not stopping here. <laughs> so speaking of aliens stopping on our planet, supposedly. Um, I'm covering the what is known as the Roswell incident, which was supposedly when a flying saucer crashed in Roswell, New Mexico. Do tell, do tell. So a government cover-up, alien technology, gag orders, and top-secret files. What really happened that June and July in 1947 in the sleepy town of Roswell, New Mexico? Adjust your chrome domes for this one, Spooky Nation. There's a lot to unpack here. Somewhere around June 14, 1947, debris rained down from the sky 75 miles north of Roswell, New Mexico, on the J.B. Foster Ranch, as reported by the ranch foreman, William Mack Brazel. And here is where the complex tale already begins to unravel. Brazel took some of the debris, which he described as, quote, rubber strips, tinfoil, rough paper, and sticks, and on July 7th, showed it to Sheriff George Wilcox. He had heard about quote-unquote flying saucers and wondered if this was indeed what he had recovered. Brazel even, quote, whispered kind of confidential-like to the sheriff about his concerns about a saucer being what he had indeed found. Just like that what he gathered for evidence sounds like a kid's science project. It literally sounds like some kid's, like, middle school science project. And then to go, I found these this tin foil and sticks. I think it's a UFO. Is this a flying saucer? No, George. Those are sticks and tinfoil and pipe cleaners and googly eyes. I don't know what to tell you here. But he's doing it all confidential. Like, like I think it's a flying saucer. And the, the sheriff, and let's find out what the sheriff does, shall we? Instead of going, no, George, that's clearly someone's arts and crafts project. Let's find out what the sheriff does. Sheriff Wilcox immediately reported the find to the U.S. Air Force authorities at the nearby Roswell Army Airfield. Major Jesse Marcel, Lieutenant Colonel Sheridan Cabot, and Master Sergeant Bill Rickett traveled to the ranch where more debris was recovered. No doubt, if this was indeed from some top-secret prototype, the U.S. Army Air Force would be eager to keep it as quiet as possible as they searched the crash site. But to no avail, as the press release had already been made. Of course it was. (laughs) On July 8th, RAF Public Information Officer Walter Hott issued a release stating that personnel from the 509th Operations Group had recovered a quote-unquote flying disc, as it would be described in the July 9th edition of the local paper, the Roswell Daily Record. May have jumped the gun on this one. Maybe. A little bit, Walter. It's because of George. George running because in. Because George ran in with his sticks and tinfoil and went, I found a flying saucer. And then they went and looked and found more stuff. And then it was like, yep, flying saucer. Cut put it print. Put it in the paper. Print. Done. Let's go home, guys. <laughs> Which immediately, as you can imagine, did not go over well. No. <laughs> Quote, the many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force Roswell Army Airfield was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through cooperation of one of the local ranchers and the sheriff of Chavez County. The flying object landed on a ranch near Roswell sometime last week. Not having phone facilities, the rancher stored the disc until such time as he was able to contact the sheriff's office, who in turn notified Major Jesse A. Marcel of the 509th Bomb Group Intelligence Office. 
Action was immediately taken and the disc was picked up at the rancher's home. It was inspected at the Roswell Army Airfield and subsequently loaned by a Major Marcel to higher headquarters, unquote. That was what was in the paper. That is a direct quote from the July 9th edition of the Roswell paper. So went heavy on the flying disc story off the bat. Yeah, they were like, it can't be anything else. It's a flying disc. Right. This part was true. So this part was true that he did hand over what they did find. Mm -hmm. Colonel William Blanchard, the commanding officer of the 509th, had contacted General George M. Ramey of the 8th Air Force in Fort Worth, Texas, with their astounding find. Ramey ordered the object to be flown out to Fort Worth Army Airfield, where it was examined thoroughly and was, at this time, according to official accounts, identified by Ramey as well as Warrant Officer Irving Newton to be a quote-unquote weather balloon. Uh-huh. Sure, Jan. Sure. Like, it took, like, first it's a flying disc, they fly it out of the state to another state and go, nope, weather balloon. And I didn't know weather balloons used tin and sticks. Yeah. That's okay. I'm like, they're all right. Well, we'll see how where this goes. And apparently they did notif- uh Washington was notified. So as soon as they got hold of it, this General Ramey also notified the president, President Truman at the time of what had been found. Mm-hmm. So it was in this between gap of like when Ramey was notified, he found out that they what they'd found at Roswell. He notified Washington they get the pieces. Now all of a sudden it's a water, uh, a weather balloon, not a water balloon. No water balloon. Be really funny. Like you sent us, you needed this identified. Who doesn't know what this is? It's red plastic. It's a water balloon. But it was just, it was weird. It was just like, there was all these steps in between. Then all of a sudden it's a weather balloon. Yeah. Like once Washington had already been involved in all that stuff. So yeah, again, twist the, twist the hat on, twist it on. That's just me being paranoid. The next day, a whole lot of walking back on the flying saucer and flying disc language had to occur as the story had already caught fire across many news outlets. The paranoia stirred by Cold War no doubt had aided in the fascination and the terror that the headlines conjured. Damage control had to be done and fast. Later that same day, the narrative seemed to change. The Roswell Daily Record ran another story with a correction and new photos from the U.S. Army stating that it was, in fact, a weather balloon, which had been found at the site. The photographs featured Major Marcel posing with pieces of the supposed weather balloon as incontrovertible proof. Despite the quick turn of face on the matter, it seemed to have the desired effect. The story died there. Skepticism over the quickly altered account of events never left the imagination of UFO enthusiasts and conspiracy theorists. In 1994, the U.S. government released a report called Report of Air Force Research Regarding the Quote-Unquote Roswell Incident. In an amazing and declassified moment of honesty, the government admitted to the incident in Roswell, in fact, being a cover-up. But not involving little green men, you see. No. It was involving, in fact, weather balloons. Highly top-secret weather balloons. You can actually download this. It's it's actually a declassified piece of information. So I have the PDF of this report. Actually, both reports that were released by the government on my computer. Um, it's really dry, of course, government reading, but the, the summation is, is this. Enter the covert spy project known as Project Mogul. Project Mogul had been started in order to furtively spy on the Soviet Union using specialized high-altitude balloons equipped with microphones and listening equipment. These balloons would be released from strategic base points and left to float over the USSR, detecting sound waves from a stealth distance. 
The particular sound waves the government was interested in at the time were any attempted nuclear tests by the Soviets of their own atomic bomb, not to mention any other sensitive government information that might be picked up by the floating microphones. Seems a long way to go to spy on somebody if we're literally setting off balloons like the movie Up to spy on the Reds. Like, who came up with this idea? You know what we should do, guys? Microphones. Okay, well, we can't go over to the Soviet Union and put microphones on people because they're going to find that out. It's going to start World War III. So so what the fuck, George? But the microphones idea. No, no, no. You don't let me finish. Microphones on balloons. <laughs> Boom. Boom. <laughs> Boom, bitch. I will take my pay raise now. Like, I... It was so, like, it's so wacky, like, how the Cold War had everyone so paranoid that all of this, there was so much wacky spy technology and spy stuff that came out of the Cold War. Like, that's where, like, a lot of, you'll notice, like, the James Bond sort of things, like Mm -hmm. the poison cufflinks where it shoots darts or pens that had, like, a poison thing in it where you could stab somebody or invisible ink or, like, all this wacky stuff that they came up with. So... Balloons attached to microphones, so why not, I guess? I mean, it wasn't uh, German. It wasn't. Argentina. It wasn't. We know who we were talking about. You'll find that out later. Yes. yes it's, a, it's priceless. <laughs> Hold on. It gets real weird. According to the government's report, due to the sensitive and secretive nature of Project Mogul, the false explanation of the crash was necessary in order to maintain the integrity and secrecy of the classified project. Additionally, the project had been so highly classified that no one at the Roswell Army Airfield was even aware of it. Hence, the best they could do on such short notice was the weather balloon explanation. But this theory seems to completely forget about the fact that the debris was called a quote-unquote flying disc before it was reclassified as a weather balloon. So what about that? Not to mention that there were also conflicting witness accounts of the actual substances and debris found at the crash site and possible alien or extraterrestrial bodies recovered among the wreckage. Several people claimed to have seen debris scattered over a wide area, and at least one testified to seeing a blazing aircraft in the sky before it crashed. One key witness account came from former mortician Glenn Dennis, who claimed in 1989 that a friend of his who had been a nurse at the Roswell Army Airfield back during the incident had accidentally walked into an examination room where two doctors were in the process of examining the bodies of three creatures. They were humanoid in nature, but much smaller in stature, around four feet tall, with large bald heads and gangly arms, which, in my opinion, describes some people I've actually been on dates with. Shade. Thanks, Tinder. Shade. Gross. Though Dennis has been debunked seemingly by other researchers like skeptic and author Kevin D. Randall, who claims that details of Dennis's account have shifted and changed, like the name of the nurse in question when it was proven that the initial name he gave didn't belong to an existing person. So you're just a filthy fucking liar then, Dennis. That damn Dennis. Dennis. So apparently they were like, he was like, yeah, it was Mary Smith. And they're like, yeah, that's funny. There's not a record of a Mary Smith working at Roswell. He's like, did I say Mary Smith? I meant it was Jessica Jones. Bitch, that's not how you maintain credibility. No. Especially if it's supposedly a friend of yours. Like, how would you get their name wrong? <laughs> like, it's like there's, well, I call her Mary, but her real name is Jessica. Like, that's not even a nickname, dude. <laughs> like, do better. Lie better. 
If you're gonna lie about something, at least make sure all your loose ends are tied up. Agreed. Several witnesses who also came in contact with the materials at the initial crash site on the Robbins Ranch would also later claim that the material in the subsequent photos taken for the press were not the same materials that they had recovered, and that the photos, in fact, had been staged. Major Marcel and his son, Jesse Marcel Jr., both claimed that the substance was unlike any they had previously encountered, and while it seemed thin and lightweight, like tinfoil, it was impervious to damage and impossible to bend. Jesse Marcel Jr. also claimed to have seen writing on the material. Quote, I could see what looked like writing. At first I thought of Egyptian hieroglyphics, but there were no animal outlines or figures. They weren't mathematical figures either. They were more like geometric symbols, squares, circles, triangles, pyramids, and the like. Unquote. Some theorize that this could have been an alien language imprinted on the material, but others have put forward a more practical, very earthbound explanation for the mysterious writing. Some have theorized that the craft that crashed in the desert near Roswell was neither UFO nor secret spy balloon of domestic origin, but had been a recovered spy craft sent from the Soviet Union that had gone off course and crashed. Perhaps the symbols on the material were in fact the Cyrillic alphabet? It's possible that their alphabet does look like it's foreign. Like, I mean, it's very weird shape. So if you were, and he was 11 years old at the time. So this was 11 year old kid that saw this writing on there. So I, I would imagine that may be how you would describe a Cyrillic alphabet if you've never seen it. Right. You know, like if I've never seen a Russian alphabet, maybe that is how I would describe it. Yeah, it very much looks like Simlish to me. It does. So it's, it's angular. It's very kind of geometric. There's... I mean, some of them look like letters, but some of them are very geometric in in design. Mm -hmm. This theory is highly unlikely, though, according to experts. And as far as the quote-unquote recovered bodies go, these stories prompted the Air Force to release yet another official report in 1997 to contest these claims. The report called, in a broad stroke of finality, or, okay, can we fucking stop talking about this now? Roswell Report, colon, case closed. (laughs) Like, please... Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. So this report claims that during the 1950s, the Air Force conducted a series of quote-unquote dummy drops over air bases, unoccupied fields, and test ranges all across New Mexico. These tests with lifelike human dummies complete with latex skin and aluminum bones and featureless faces were dropped from planes in order to test ways for pilots to survive falls from high altitudes. Military vehicles would converge on the drop sites, recover the dummies, even bandage them, and take them away. It was these quote-unquote dummy drops that had likely been confused with any bodies seen recovered from crash sites. But there's only a couple of problems with that explanation. Claim skeptics and UFOologists, that's a word, I guess. One was that the drops didn't begin until the 50s, which technically predates the crash at Roswell, which happened in 47. Not to mention that the bodies seen were distinctly described as humanoid, but small, and around four feet tall. The dummies in question were normal human size, around six feet. One of these things is not like the other. I'd be real pressed to see, like, unless they were dropping child dummies out of planes. Like, that's that's a that's a hard mistake to make. You could tell when somebody it's a tiny person as opposed to a regular sized person. The only thing I can think of, especially with them pointing out that the dummy drops didn't start until the fifties, is that these were prototypes. Oh, maybe. So maybe they tested like smaller ones first to to see how they would drop or like how they would fall. They're like, "Oh, those ones fell too fast." Or this is like we need to make them more like human size. Right. Like maybe they were testing the technology and 
trying to get it ready for the official drops. Yeah, that could be. And that's why that they were smaller. But they're like, we don't want to waste material on these prototype ones. We just going to get the idea of how this is going to work. Right. Yeah. That could make sense. That's entirely possible. Hundreds of witnesses claim to have seen similar evidence at Roswell, ranging from civilians to high-ranking military officers speaking out after their retirement from the armed forces. Many of them swear that what they saw that day in the desert was no weather balloon, but was instead an alien craft. So what do you think, Spooky Nation? A case of aliens visiting and even crashing on Earth, quickly covered up by the government? Or nothing more than a mere case of spy games and national security during a time of intense paranoia in the United States? You decide. There's, it's definitely, it could be on either end. It's could it's like I see the merits of both arguments um, on either on either side. Just because there were so many people that came out after the fact that claimed that yeah the stuff that they took pictures of in the paper wasn't what we found. Like the person in the picture even claimed that that's not the stuff I found. They had me pose with this stuff, the weather balloon pieces. That wasn't what I found at all. Unless like. It's one of those things where they're testing top secret stuff. Right. They don't want, obviously, other countries to know that we have this at the right. time. And that's why they're like... It's balloon, shut up. Pose with this balloon. Yeah. Tell them it was a balloon. Well, and like I said, military, like I said earlier, the military is very densely layered as far as like security clearance goes. Just because you're in the military doesn't mean you get to know everything. Right. So some major on like a isolated base in New Mexico isn't going to be privy to like all the crazy knowledge that and the crazy technology that upper echelon and like you know other like more secret development like skunk works is working on so you know there's it's this very well could be a case of the right hand just did not know what the left hand was doing at all and then they're kind of left with some internal communication issues that they now have to cover that up they now then have to cover up with a smoke screen yeah so it, it's but without telling them like yeah here's the thing we're doing secret spy balloons but no one's fucking supposed to know that so shut the fuck up um, it was the same thing with Area 51 where they just were like it's not there and people were like we have satellite photos of the compound you can see it from space you can see it from a satellite you can see that there's there's nothing there you're wrong it's one of those things where communication can fix everything it's true Apparently, releasing two reports didn't do any good because people still think there's a UFO that crashed there. So, <laughs> Some people believe that it is German from Argentina. And let's get into that. We'll actually get into him a little bit later. Um, but first, we're going to be talking about Shirley MacLaine. Uh, if you know her, she's very prominent in movies and TV. So we're talking about celebrities who have either had experiences with or believe wholeheartedly in UFOs. Yes. Yes. She's one of those that has never actually seen an alien, um, but she has stated that she's seen multiple UFOs around her home in New Mexico. In a 2011 interview with Oprah, Shirley stated, quote, I've seen the mothership here. Just pause. (laughs) I've seen the mothership. I've seen the mothership here. Immediately, my brain wants to go, no. (laughs) Right? And just check out. Like, I'm already like, okay, we're starting off at level 10 crazy. We didn't even ease into the crazy pool. We didn't wade in. We didn't test the waters first. Nope. Just plugged nose, dived right in to the deep end. All right, here we go. Straight to mothership. Uh Uh-huh. 
and I've seen them at my ranch. One famous day, famous famous day. day. Ooh. A friend of mine was sitting in the hot tub out there, and three UFOs came over and hovered over the hot tub for about ten minutes. Okay, one, why was your friend in your hot tub alone? That's just a little weird. That's weird. And two, you're telling me that the UFO sat there for ten minutes and not one picture was taken in this day and age. Yeah, like you didn't go get... I don't know if there were... I don't know when it... This, does it say when this was? It said it was 2011. Did she say when she saw them? She didn't. She just said on one famous day. Oh, okay. Because I was like, maybe there weren't, weren't camera phones at the time. But I was like, still, it's like, you don't have a camera in your house. Like, you're a celebrity. You're famous. I'm sure you have, like, a Polaroid or something right. laying around somewhere that you could have run inside and snapped a photo of these things. Fuck, for 10 minutes, you could have gone inside, gotten a tablet and drawn them. Like, you one really of your French have. girls. <laughs> Drawn just the three UFOs hovering over with the heart of the ocean. <laughs> Ooh la la. God, I hate that movie. I've never seen it. Good. Don't. <laughs> Don't. Also, people might be wondering why UFOs are flocking her property like some extraterrestrial mecca. She claims that they are attracted to the many crystals that are around New Mexico, and she told Oprah, quote, Crystals amplify the consciousness, and they're attracted to that crystal amplification. McLean also believes that extraterrestrials have taught her that the soul doesn't die. Okay, hold up. Hold up. We've been through this nonsense with Osho already. This guy keeps coming back to haunt us, so maybe he didn't really die. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe that's his curse. What does she have to say for herself? Well, quote, The soul is everlasting, and its learning experience is lifetime after lifetime. You go to another level of understanding until you're ready to come back to the schoolroom again. Earth. Oh, but Earth isn't the only place that you can come back to. Keep this in mind. Oh, boy. She believes it's possible to reincarnate onto other planets, stating, quote, that's why we're so interested in star nations and extraterrestrials and so forth, because we've probably had experiences there and it's in our memory system. So we can reincarnate as aliens, apparently. Oh, Or as extraterrestrials. As extraterrestrials. But hasn't she also kind of gotten into some trouble with some of those statements that she's made about like reincarnation and about like how like it was something about like reincarnation where it was like the soul's memory and stuff like that and it was something about the holocaust and it was something that was not a very cool thing to say it was like it was like something about like how previous lives basically make impressions on on your current life and it's kind of like one of those where it's like well what did you do in your like almost like karma it's like, what did you do in your past life to, to warrant that happening? Almost kind of implying that people who died in the Holocaust, if you were reincarnated as somebody who died in the Holocaust, there was a reason that that happened to you. Yeah. And I'm like, that's problematic. You can't say things like that. Not only is it problematic because it's just insensitive, but also it's not fucking true. And I'm like, I don't think that's how it works. Like, honestly, if you... I mean, I guess it would depend on which, what you believe in in terms of reincarnation. Right. Obviously, her version is really messed up. But in Buddhist philosophy, if you're reincarnated as a human, that means that you did really well in your past right. life. Because if you were a horrible person, you would be reincarnated as like a bug. Like a lesser, yeah, like a what, lesser they, what they call a lesser being. Like a bug or like a an ant or something, like a... Like a yeah, yeah, if you did, if you come back as human, then you did shit right, according to Buddhists. Right. You 
but like I don't believe that now I do I believe in reincarnation like I believe that the souls because souls are energy and energy can't be created nor destroyed according to laws of physics so I think that there has to be some place that they go Mm -hmm. so they just go to another meat suit basically so but I don't think I don't think that what you've done now I do think that there are things that you've experienced in previous lives that can carry over as trauma Mm -hmm. especially if you've had a traumatic past life where maybe you were murdered or maybe you died prematurely Mm -hmm. that some of that baggage can follow you into other lives and that can cause unresolved fears you know things like that where it's like you maybe have just a terrible fear of drowning that you have no idea where it came from well maybe you drowned in a previous life or something like that some things that make ripples but I don't think it's karmic based no I don't think it's like you were a terrible person so that's why you were murdered and then you were reincarnated I'm like no She's she's very problematic, but yeah, she claims that she has UFOs that come to her house all the time. They just visit, just pop by for a visit on famous days, you know. So it's like, just invite people then over to your house so we can get proof Yeah, so of people this. can get pictures. Have she invited anyone over recently to get photos and photographic evidence? Is there yeah. any? Okay. Convenient. Yeah. Especially, I'm like... Now this yeah day, now it's like one famous day sure. was but like now we have smartphones that can literally take pictures of like the teeny tiniest thing in the sky well, and if they visit on such a regular basis you wouldn't think catch, catching them on camera would be hard no interesting interesting so the next celebrity we're gonna cover is um, somebody who you would think would be more inclined to believe in ghosts rather than UFOs. But uh, apparently Ray Stance is a sucker for extraterrestrials. See, this is what really happens when you cross the streams, guys. This is what happens. Dan Aykroyd is claimed to have many UFO and extraterrestrial encounters in his life, the most notable of which occurred during a trip to upstate New York in the 1980s. Aykroyd woke up in the middle of the night and told his wife that something outside wanted him to come see them. Quote, they're calling me. I want to go outside. Something outside wants me to come out and see them. Quote, said. Ackroyd's wife convinced him that it was nothing but a dream and to go back to bed. Upon waking in the morning, news reports were abuzz with similar accounts and experiences all across New York, Vermont, and into Canada, where thousands of people had felt the sudden urge to go outside at 3 a.m., where they then witnessed a several-mile-high spiraling pink vortex. Which sounds like a scene in Ghostbusters 2. It does! It's the thing, it's the ooze from Ghostbusters 2! Is Vigo. You are like the buzzing of flies to him. Anyways, another notable incident, perhaps with the mythical, quote, men in black, occurred in 2002 when Ackroyd was in the process of working on a documentary series for the Sci-Fi Channel about extraterrestrials and UFOs. Eight episodes featuring the work of prominent names in the field of ufology, like Linda Moulton Howe, Stephen Greer, and John Mack, had already been completed, and the series was getting close to being aired. One day after filming, Ackroyd stepped outside for a cigarette and to answer a phone call for Britney Spears, as is one as does when they're a famous person, I guess, regarding an upcoming episode of Saturday Night Live. While on the phone, he says he turned to look out into 42nd Street to see a black SUV with a tall man dressed all in black, quote, giving him a dirty look. Ackroyd turned away, but looked back seconds later, only to see that the man and the vehicle had vanished. 
Two hours after the incident, Aykroyd and Cass were informed that the documentary series that was basically completed had been canceled entirely and would never make it to air. To this day, no one involved with the show, including Aykroyd himself, has ever been given an explanation as to why. Interesting. That was that. I was like, okay, that's a little weird, <laughs> right? You get a dirty look from a man that you have no idea who it is, and he's gone in like two seconds, yeah. faster than it would take for a car to leave. And especially this is in New York on Forty Second Street, where it's fucking constant traffic. That's not like a quick like, I'm just gonna disappear in a matter of two seconds in a car, right? And then suddenly your show is canceled. Right. Like two hours later, all of a sudden a show that's basically done, we're not going to air it. It's not going to make it to air. We spent all this money on it, but you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. We're just going to write it off as a loss. Yeah. It's very weird. It's very strange. In another interview with openminds.tv, Ackroyd claimed to have had another UFO encounter in Martha's Vineyard. He said he was on the ground looking up when he witnessed not one, but two moving objects in synchronous motion at an altitude of roughly 50,000 feet and at speeds of 20,000 miles an hour, much faster than any known aircraft. It was four in the morning. Uh, I got up to take a leak on the balcony there and I looked up in the sky and about 100,000 feet up, I saw two glowing discs flying in echelon formation. You saw this? I saw this. How old were you? I was, uh, was I'm in my 30s, yeah. And so I, uh, I look up and I see these things and they're moving, man. They're going from horizon to horizon. Whew. 20,000 miles an hour, and I, I, I've been in an F-5, I've had it in my hands, I've been in a B-25, I know helicopters, I know aviation, I know meteoric bull rides, I know what's not a meteor and what is, I know what's a helicopter and what is, I know what's the moon and Venus, two glowing, glowing round objects, 100,000 feet, maybe 20,000 miles an hour they do in because they went across the sky, like just in a zigzag formation, so if I screamed to my wife, my friends, they got out, the three of us saw it, and I said, you know, and they all knew it was something unusual. That was my first sighting. Okay. While there is no doubt that Ackroyd is a staunch believer and has done tons of research on the subject matter, crystal skull vodka, anybody? So he believes in the Mayan crystal skulls, which were supposedly also made by aliens. They were carved by aliens because supposedly the technology to carve them so intricately and precisely would not have existed at the time that they were made. So he has his own vodka brand that's, of course, the bottle shaped like a skull, and it's called Crystal Skull Vodka. I did not realize that that was its origin. Yes. Learned something new every day. Crystal skulls were alien or UFO in origin, apparently. They were supposedly made by aliens. The best representation of his beliefs can be found in the 2005 documentary, Dan Aykroyd Unplugged on UFOs. He continues to research UFO phenomena to this day, and I would love for someone to put him in a room with Jade's next celebrity believer and just record the conversations that would ensue. 100%. So <laughs> I have a feeling that you would leave that conversation more confused than when you went. I don't want to stay in the room. Oh, no, no. I don't want to stay in the room. I just want to go, like, set up a microphone, have them sit in a room and go, go nuts. I'll be back in six hours. <laughs> just take whatever <laughs> and just they're leave. <laughs> Yeah. So our next celebrity is Tom DeLong. <laughs> oh, Tom. Tommy oh, Tom. Boy. Oh, dear. Oh, dearie, dear. Oh, lordy, lordy, Michael Jordan. <laughs> you heard me correctly, spooky fam. It should come as no surprise that Tom DeLong, formerly of Blink-182, or 182, whatever the internet decided today. I think it's 182. There was that whole debate, remember? About no. It's there was this whole thing about whether it was 182 or 182. What does the band say? I think 
think they said 182. Then that's remember. what it is. There's no arguing. It's not like GIF versus GIF. It's like, what does the band say? How do they pronounce it? Then that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I, it's 2020 and we're all in quarantine. We needed something to talk about. <laughs> so apparently it was Blink-182. Apparently that was the straw. That was the hill we decided to die on, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so he is hella into aliens. Hella, you guys. Like, as vehemently as Vivian hates mouth breathers is how much he loves aliens. It's true. It's very true. I do hate them. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Take it from former bandmate Travis Barker. So, I have to ask you, does Tom talk about UFOs all the time? Well, you know he's not in the band no yeah, more. Yeah, I know. You know? But, but did you know, he always do that? He always did. We used to get loaded and just look out the bus window for what, <laughs> and I used to do it with him as like I don't know it's kind of a bonding experience. It's like yeah. if you wanted to show me bow and arrows, whatever, right. and we're on tour together. Of Fuck course, it. I'd sit yeah. there and like you know check it out. So with Tom, that was his thing. Like fucking let's get high and look for UFOs. <laughs> so we would, you know, we just sit there and like stare out the bus window, look at UFOs, or like he would even go as far as when we were on tour, like let's go and fucking look for Bigfoot. <laughs> Whatever it was, you know? And he would assemble a crew and they would go do it. Oh my god. He never got me on one of those trips because that was just too fairy tale for me. But um, yeah. but I would you know, I'd do that and he was always it's really not something he just got into from the day I fucking met him. Wow. He was obsessed with UFOs and aliens and was always very passionate about it. His feelings about aliens and life on other planets really became known to the public around the early two thousands right after the release of Aliens Exist in 1999 from Blink's hit album, Enema of the State. When asked in an interview about UFOs and how he became so invested, Tom mentions having a friend on the East Coast who spent 10 years talking to various government officials who had witnessed UFO activity. It's through this relationship and his own personal collection of testimonies that he has such a strong belief. Plus, he also has said in countless interviews that his love for sci-fi in high school is what led him down this path of no return. Did he describe it as a path of no return? That's an odd way to describe your path of belief. You're like, that's what led me to this dead end in my life, y'all. <laughs> he did not. I Okay, that I was did. you paraphrasing. Yeah. Okay. I, I paraphrased. He would probably say it's his lifelong dream. I'm sure. I'm sure of that. <laughs> So in 2015, DeLong told Paper Mag about his own contact with aliens. He stated that while camping at a secret base on the flight path to Area 51, he received communications from aliens. He woke up at 3 a.m. feeling strange. He said, quote, my whole body felt like it had static electricity. It sounded like there were about 20 people there talking. And instantly my mind goes, okay, they're at our campsite. They're not here to hurt us. They're talking about shit, but I can't make out what they're saying. You know? <laughs> I can relate. Relatable. Relatable content. <laughs> because half the time while conducting my research, I only knew that Tom was talking about shit, but I couldn't make out a word that he was saying. This is true. Yes, facts. <laughs> to wrap up our deep dive into Tom DeLong's crazy pool, we'll talk about To the Stars real quick. In late 2015, DeLong co-founded To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science, or as I like to call it, To The Bullshit Academy of Bullshit. <laughs> the Academy of Bullshit. The Academy of Nonsense and More Nonsense. <laughs> yes. There are two divisions of the TTSA, the Science and Technology Division and the Entertainment Division. 
according to their own site within the science division, quote, TTSA collects documents and physical materials from public and private sources related to the UAP phenomena to study it and then transitions the transformative technologies behind it to wider applications of public benefit. Aha. Yes. The transformative technologies to for a public benefit. For public benefit. Where? Where, Tom? I want to see receipts. There are none. Where, bitch? Where's my flying car? Tom. I'm going to knock on his door asking him. The company also claims to have top former officials from the Pentagon, CIA, DOD, and Lockheed Martin Skunk Works as part of their, quote, consulting and research arm. Just as I can claim that I have members of the Super Friends as my imaginary friends. Yes. (laughs) The entertainment division focuses on putting out books, movies, music, and merchandise that will have fans, (laughs) fans, quote, immersed in exciting stories that inspire a new understanding and appreciation for the profound mysteries of our universe. I can't say for certain how much of his company is legitimate and what they put out and what he claims they know, because he claims they know so much, but he can't really say. Of course. It's like... I have answers, you guys. I just can't tell you any of them. Like, I know you mentioned that Dan Aykroyd was on Joe Rogan. Yes. So was Tom DeLonge. We're not sponsored by Joe Rogan. We're not. But he was also on Joe Rogan. And what I was referencing earlier with Roswell, they were talking about the Roswell incident. And he was like, I believe what crashed there was German from Argentina in nature. (laughs) Oh, my God. Tom! So, so escaped Nazi aliens. Got it. Yes. <laughs> Got it, Tom. Okay. But. Okay, Maria. He couldn't name what it was or prove what it was. It was just, I think this, and I, I don't really want to get into it. That's kind of what he would do whenever Joe asked him a question. He'd be like, well, I don't want to talk about that, but blah, 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 blah. And then we proceed to talk about it, but not give too many details. Yeah. He, or he just wouldn't talk about or it at all. Or just skirt around the issue. And claim that it was because he wasn't allowed to talk about uh, it. Sounds convenient, Tom. Yeah. At one point, I don't remember what they were talking about, but Joe Rogan asked me, he's like, so these people, you said these things in the past, and now you're not allowed to repeat these said things that you said. Is it because they told you to stop saying them? And he's like, yes. Okay. Okay. And he was basically like, just look up the old interviews if you want to hear what I'm saying. But right now, I don't but represent I just myself. Oh, and that was his thing. I don't represent just myself. I represent my company. Your company deals with aliens, Tom. I really don't think that anyone's going to really clock you for that. Yeah. But I call it the Academy of Bullshit because the entire website is just filled with buttons and blurbs asking you to invest now. It's true, it does. We look, we both looked at yeah. it. <laughs> if you scroll through, every section felt like an advertisement with nothing to show to warrant an investment. Plus, to quote a famous Kanye West song, I'm not saying they're a gold digger, but they're not messing with no broke people. This is true. The minimum investment for TTSA is $350. And you're not given anything to say, ah, yes, that seems legitimate. Like there's no documents to download. There's no audio clips. There's no videos. There's no nothing. It's just like, we believe in aliens and we have evidence and we have proof, but give us money. 
Again, they claim to have these apps, but there's no links to any of the apps yeah. anywhere. Or even mention that, okay, you invest, then you get access to them. Right. There's it's very much carrot on a stick kind of thing, where there's not even a carrot and it's just a stick yeah. that they're going to poke you in the eye with and call you stupid. <laughs> yeah. And you sh- would feel stupid giving $350 to them. That's like for one share, I think. It's $350 for $5 per share, so it's like 70 shares. Okay. Um, the only thing that I can really say is that Tom was vindicated, quote unquote, um, because the Navy declassified three videos of UAPs that the TTSA supposedly previously released. I could not find them anywhere on their website. So you couldn't find these videos that they had supposedly released prior to these Pentagon videos being released. Like, it's convenient to claim that you have all this stuff and that you want people to invest in your thing, but you have to give people something. You have to give some sort of evidence. That would be like if I was like, guys, ghosts are real. And I have mountains of evidence that show ghosts are real. But I can't show it to any of you because I'm not allowed to. But give me money. Basically, that's exactly what it is. It's like if you want people to buy into what you're trying to tell them, if you're wanting them to buy into this philosophy, which I do believe in ghosts, by the way. UFOs, eh, ghosts, yes. But if you want people to buy into your belief system and you want them to physically actually monetarily buy into it, you have to give them evidence. You have to give them something. I'm not saying you have to give them all of your evidence, but give them something. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they didn't release those videos. It's just they weren't. You would think that you would promote them on their on the site. You would think so. You would think that they would at least have one of the videos up saying like, especially now that they're declassified, by the Pentagon, you would think like, hey, these are videos that we had and they would at least put a clip yeah. of it or something to say, hey, we had this prior to it being declassified. This proves what we're trying to do. Right. But no, there's nothing. There's just, it's literally, when you scroll through the website, it talks about all the shit they want to do or that they're going to do or that they're quote unquote doing. And all these people that are on the board with all these credentials. Including but, his wife. Yeah who's head of the entertainment division, whatever that means. I'm like, but there's nothing. There's not even anything for the entertainment division. There's not like, okay, well, here's a clip from a movie that we made. Or here's a clip from a series that we're thinking of doing. Or this is a book that we put out or a comic book. Or like, there's nothing. Just invest now buttons. Yeah. Dude. (laughs) Dude. Should have stayed in blank. He should have. Although I think the other ones would have just kicked him out. Because they're like, Tom, we're not listening to your garbage about aliens anymore. Like, we don't want to hear it. We're tired of you trying to recruit us for Bigfoot hunts. Yeah, stop. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they would have kicked him out of the band at this point. Like, they're like, we love you, Tom, but Jesus Christ, get out. We don't want to hear about aliens and E.T. anymore. So, moving on to our next celebrity. It's a little different. Little? A little. But he is, he is, he's an icon. And an idol. And of course, I'm talking about David Bowie. Ah, David Bowie. Uh, we miss you, Starman. From songs like Life on Mars, Space Oddity, and Loving the Alien, to even starring in a film titled The Man Who Fell to Earth, there's no question of the influence of a belief in extraterrestrials throughout Bowie's creative career. But in a case of life imitating art, Bowie claimed to have witnessed UFOs many times. As a child, he claimed he saw so many that he just got used to them. 
As an adult, he said he had seen an unidentified object that he believed, quote, was a projection of my own mind trying to make sense of this quantum topological doorway into dimensions beyond our own, unquote. I don't want to call David Bowie crazy, but he might be crazy. But that is probably like, I will say, and maybe this is just me because I love David Bowie so much. I was like, Damn, that's the prettiest way I think I've ever heard that described. Like, only David Bowie could describe a UFO experience using those words. Exactly. I I agree. I agree with that. Like, only he would describe it this way. And I kind of went, hmm, all right, maybe you did see something. I don't know. (laughs) I'm inclined to believe you. Like, it's beautiful, but you might be a little crazy. I'm inclined to believe you, Ziggy Stardust. I don't know. (laughs) Even further out there, though, some conspiracy theorists and wearers of the metal cap have even gone so far to claim that Bowie wasn't just visited by aliens, but that he was, in fact, an alien himself. I mean, maybe. They cite Bowie's strange eyes, as well as his ahead-of-his-time music and fashion, as well as multiple references to space and extraterrestrials in songs as proof. But if you ask me, that's a really big stretch. He sing about aliens. He, he alien. He, he wore weird clothes. He alien. <laughs> Like, no. (laughs) This isn't, I mean, like, no. Just no. (laughs) Just no. Although, if there was any evidence that somebody could produce for me that might show me and might sway me the fact that he was an alien, it's that goddamn dancing in the street music video with Mick Jagger. That happened, America, and we all let that happen. (laughs) I told my mom about that song because it's a cover of a 1960s Motown song by Martha Mm -hmm. and the Vandellas. And she goes, I didn't know that David Bowie and Mick Jagger, she goes, and Mick Jagger? And I was like, yes, this happened. You need to look it up. We let it happen. It is shit-eatingly insane. We allowed this. She goes, I didn't even know they did a cover of that song. I'm like, you'll never forget it after you see it. I guarantee you fucking that. (laughs) (laughs) It is burned into your retinas forever. So Bowie was no alien, though he is, and eternally will be the Goblin King. Yes. Come and fucking fight me. Dance, dance, children. Magic dance. Your king demands it. I'm dancing. <laughs> I'm dancing. Outside of his own belief and claimed encounters with UFOs throughout his life, Bowie kept pretty quiet on the matter. The only other thing I encountered in my research was a book with possibly the greatest title known to mankind. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this title? Are you sitting? Yes, you're sitting. It was called David Bowie, UFOs, Witchcraft, Cocaine and Paranoia, colon, The Occult Saga of Wally Elmark, The Rock and Roll Witch of New York. (laughs) That is the title in its entirety. Ladies and gentlemen, if the faded library of Alexandria still existed, there is no doubt that this gem would be kept inside its hallowed walls on title alone. I agree. It's a good title. Good goddamn. If that could be, if I wish that was the title of my biography. I wish. Not even about you, David. No. (laughs) Like, I fucking wish. Past the title, though, the book itself definitely looks like something someone published and printed on their mom's old Tandy computer in the basement. But we can forgive such minor sins with a title that amazing, can't we? Maybe. (laughs) The truth is out there, spooky fam. And while we may not have answered all of the unsolved mysteries of the cosmos today, at least we attempted to, and that's a start. Mm Mm-hmm. But sadly, it's time to remove your cranial caps for sacred storage until next time, because that's all the time we have for this week. 
Please join us again in two weeks when we jump back into the twisted world of true crime and serial murders with one from across the pond. That's right. Jack the Ripper who? This time we'll be profiling and dissecting. See what I did there? I did. The crimes of the other famous cannibal in episode 26, Steak and Kidney Pie, Dennis Nielsen, the UK's Jeffrey Dahmer. Stay spooky, friends. Experiment concluded. Initiate self-destruct sequence. <laughs> Escape Nazi aliens. Goddamn Tom.